This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks. morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time of day it is when you listen. Welcome once again to Gaming Street Irregulars. I'm James Irish, your lore master for today, and with me is the mythological librarian, Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone! <laughs> mythological librarian, I like that. <laughs> we have a special guest back in the studio <laughs> for the first time in forever and a day. Ladies and gentlemen, Pembroke W. Corgi. Yo, hey, you guys. <laughs> you guys make me sound yeah. like I'm something special. <laughs> you are. Yeah. I mean, come on. Come on. You, you do a whole other podcast with me. Of course I'm going to treat you like a big deal. We're all going to treat you like a big deal. You're willing to talk with in me case for anyone's wondering, hours. Uh, you go first, Chrissy. I was like, and if anyone wants to check out that podcast, it's called the Pemmy and James Kind of Sorta Hopefully Funny Cartoon Podcast. I got that right, right? I got the title right. Yes. Yes, we, okay. we know it's a mouthful, but that's uh, quasi-intentional. I, I think I told you the story, Chrissy. Um, I, I think you did, but why don't you share for our audience at home, since we are talking about myths and legends today. Let them know about the legend behind the that podcast. It's very simple. Once upon a time, I saw a commercial for a Disney cartoon called the Schnookums and Meat Funny Cartoon Show. I thought it was a funny name. I adapted that name into the podcast name. The end. Sometimes the best legends are simples. Oh, I was just going to say, unfortunately, it doesn't work very well for the uh, YouTube title link. So the YouTube versions, I always have to, unfortunately, abbreviate the name. It is what Fair it enough. is. Yeah. But yes, today we are talking about video game myths, urban legends, and other bizarre rumors that most of them aren't true, some of them are, and the funny thing about a lot of these is they became true later. Very true. So we should probably talk about the big elephant in the room, which is what everybody knows, and that is Pelibus. Polybius, however you want to say it. Yes. We'll we'll start there. That one originated in a Portland arcade, if I remember correctly, where there was this unmarked Mm -hmm. black cabinet, which apparently was a common thing back in the days of test markets. Portland was a, a very major test market for arcade games. And this game allegedly... Played similar to Tempest, but caused seizures, caused amnesia, caused uh, intestinal distress, shall we say. 
And some people claim it was linked to mm-hmm. CIA surveillance or FBI activity because they reported people in mm-hmm. in black suits watching around the, the arcade. But apparently there's a reason for that last part. Well, the actual story is it's of an unheard of new arcade game that appeared in several suburbs of Portland, Oregon in 1981, which was something of a rarity at the time. Uh, the game is described as proving popular to the point of addiction, with lines forming around the machines, often resulting in fighting over who would play next. The legend then describes how the machines were visited by men in black who collected unknown data from the machines, allegedly testing responses to the game's psychoactive effects. Players supposedly suffered from a series of um, pleasant side effects such as amnesia, insomnia, night terrors, and hallucinations. However, one month after its supposed release, the game disappeared without a trace. The name of the company that supposedly made the game was named Sinososhian, which uh, the word is described by writer Brian Dunning as a not quite idomatic German, which is a word constructed out of the norms of a language um, to mean sense delete or sensory deprivation. If it were an actual German term used, though, it would be pronounced a little differently. But the thing is, is that it came from sen, which means sense, or eoshen to extinguish or delete. Um, But the way that they're kind of combined is not standard German. The belief of the men in black not FBI agents, but CIA agents, and that the game was actually connected to the now known uh, conspiracy theory called MKUltra, which actually was an actual CIA project um, in dappling in the use of mind control. So, yeah, this is, has everything that checks all the box of all the conspiracy theorists out there. Well, here's the thing about all this CIA, FBI stuff. There were actual investigations going on in the Portland area, not having anything to do with mind control or anything of the sort, but with gambling. They were trying to bust gambling rings based out of arcades and and people allegedly modifying arcade games to be used as gambling devices. So that's what that sting was all about. How does that even work? Yeah, but the thing is, too, is um, no one has actually proven... That this game actually existed. Because every this legend actually really didn't pop out, believe it or not. The legend wasn't known until the nineteen early 1990s. So this game was never even really a legend back in the 1980s when it took place. It actually popped up on Usenet in 1994. Um, where people talked about this game. And some people believed it was just a uh, misremembering of another game that was out that was actually Pink Floyd-inspired called the Publimus Enigma Puzzle Game. But that's the thing with this, is that no one can trace the original arcade it came from. Everyone who says they knew about it is actually the story of a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, MKUltra is an actual program. They didn't really tie MKUltra to it until like the late, early 2000s. Um, we actually have here in, in our hometown of Rochester a tie to MKUltra. Really? Did you, didn't, did you ever hear of that? 
that I we have actually not. have a tie to it. Yeah, the U of R, the University of, yeah, the U of R University of Rochester was one of the actual testing sites for MK Ultra training. Wow, go figure. I knew I couldn't trust Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> but people have actually petitioned the FBI and the CIA for any information, uh, any information on this video game. And the FBI is literally like, we don't have anything. Like, sorry. And the CIA is the same way of like, wait, what? <laughs> so, and that's actually really odd for them. Like, norm people are like, oh, but it's the government. Of course they're going to say they don't know anything about it. When a Freedom of Information Act request is filed, they actually have to show any, like, not just for that one thing. They have to show anything that even mentions this game. They have nothing. <laughs> Like, hmm. there's not even, like, a memo of someone saying, hey, did you hear the, the rumor about this legend? Like, there's nothing on it. There's yeah. no results. And yeah, Norm Prescott, the game historian, has an exceptional video on breaking down the origins of this myth and where certain aspects of it came from. That's where I actually got my information on that FBI sting and also mm -hmm. found out about some of the things about players getting sick and nauseous originated from a kid trying to set a record for playing asteroids and wound up playing for 28 hours, sustaining himself on Coca-Cola. Wow. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. So th this was a, this was a, a legend. It's actually, it's one of the premier and premier um, video game myths. And I mean, it's, it's such a strong prevalence now in our culture that even the Simpsons have parried it, have uh, done a parody of it. Yep. Up and on theirs. top of that, there is a Polybius game on the PlayStation Network mm -hmm. and Numskull, uh, uh, a company that makes uh, little quarter-scale replicas of arcade games, it has done a, a successful Kickstarter to make a Polybius machine based on what they think it would have been like based on the rumors and legends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, I think there was a couple of indie games that have been made with the name Polybius since this has come up. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure there's one on Steam too. Yeah, the um people have been wanting to try to recreate what the gameplay was like based off of the stories. Um, because there are some stories out there, especially on the creepypasta websites that actually describe what the gameplay was supposedly was. Um the closest thing, like you said, it's it was supposed to play like Tempest played. So I love some Tempest. So it's supposed to be like that, but like more psychedelic and more crazy shapes and everything. So space is... giraffe, or or Tempest four thousand, yeah, or you know, or that up to the, like the hundredth degree. Like it was to the point that if you stared at it for ten minutes, you either went into a trance or you started seeing things. I don't know. I did a stream of uh, Tempest four thousand, and at at the point that I ended that stream, I was starting to get a headache. So. <laughs> <laughs> That so. game had some sensory overload in it. Yeah. So when we return from the break, we're going to talk about a game that actually existed and is creepy for all the wrong reasons. Mm. So, 1983, a couple years after the 
uh, roughly maybe a year and a half, I want to say, after the release of a certain very popular Steven Spielberg movie, Atari rushes to cash in with a holiday release for the 2600 game E.T. the Extraterrestrial. This game is often misblamed as the cause of the big video game crash, when really it was, in the words of Jeremy Parrish, the unfortunate Jenga piece that caused a, a crumbling tower to collapse. But this yeah. game was not great. Not great, but not as bad as I think some people make it out to be. I'll say that. Because there's far worse games on the Atari 26 Center than that one. Chase the Chuck Wagon, anybody? Say, yeah, I, I have to I have to agree with Pemi on this. Uh, but the element, the legend of this game isn't even so much the game itself. It is what Atari tried to do to cover it up. Not necessarily cover it up, but just write it off, I, I think. Maybe well, a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. So apparently somewhere out west is a, is a um, landfill filled with nothing but E.T. games. Yep, New Mexico to be precise. What is it about that state? <laughs> it's New Mexico. Nobody cares. Yeah, but for, first Roswell, now this. Once again, it's New Mexico and nobody cares. <laughs> like People in New Mexico honestly are like, yeah, whatever. Well, I, I think Weird Al fans care about New Mexico because of... Albuquerque! Ah, <laughs> From his Running With Scissors CD. <laughs> Albuquerque. We apologize for the eardrums of people listening on headphones and earbuds. Hey, Bugs Bunny always makes a left turn there. We <laughs> should have. I always should have made the left turn to Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, I think I missed that when we were playing Mega Man last week. The left turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I yeah. wound up on Gemini Man. <laughs> yeah, somehow you, yeah, you, you did. And, you know, just don't trust, just don't trust MapQuest. It takes you in the wrong direction. This is one of those ones that, the myth, that is, the E.T. myth, that persisted for years and years without any real confirmation until, I want to say, the, the late 2010s, when they actually went and dug them up. Yes, someone actually did go there and dug up all all of the games. And I think he got in trouble for it by Atari. Because <laughs> Atari said it was private property. Oh, which his response was which his response was, then why isn't there a fence or signs? Also that depends on who actually owns Atari now, because it's that's changed so many hands. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, Hasbro once had it, uh, Infogrames once had it. Now Atari is so broken up they don't even own Battlezone. <laughs> which is a huge shame. Part of it was owned by, and another part of it was owned by Midway, which is now owned by Warner. Right, That that's the, the portion that made Gauntlet and Paperboy and Marble Madness and everything following the breakup of Atari into two halves. And the, yeah. and the funny thing was the console making half kept the old arcade games. Yep. 
Um, interesting thing though about like the ET game, if I remember right, one of the main problems that it failed was not just because it was a bad game, but because Atari made a really dumb business decision, which they made. They actually made more copies than Ataris that were currently owned. And it's not the first time they made that mistake. They did the same thing with Pac-Man. Okay, we're going to pause for just a second while we wait for Chrissy to get back online. I think Atari has taken us out for talking about their mess. Oh, because you guys just disappeared oh. for a minute and I kind of just started saying, I'm like, and I think Atari just shut us down. Uh, and you disappeared mm. from us for a One minute. One of us was recording. I'm not sure who. <laughs> Don't worry. The beauty of Zencaster is it will catch everything on and upload yes. from your computer. Cool. So, so nothing was lost. I'm just gonna have to edit around it. Well, nice. either either Atari shut us down or the CIA did. I'm not sure which one. Could be both. We kind of we kind of maybe Atari both of them. is the maybe CIA. They- Ooh, that would totally explain why they're so broken up right now. <laughs> Shell companies hiding the real villain. Oh no! And they better, and they better be petting a fluffy white cat, or I'm going to be vastly disappointed. <laughs> Though, uh, back to the uh, Atari, uh, the landfill actually getting dug up, which was also part of, was also used for the AVGN movie, if I remember right. <laughs> Yes, yes, it was. But uh, it, they didn't. <laughs> you found that ET games were not the only thing they buried there. No, there's a very well known <laughs> picture from that uh, dig depicting a copy of Centipede. And I'm like, no! Centipede was a good port! Yep, as well as Pac Man. And I think it was just a I lot know. of their stock in general. Yeah, it was almost like they dumped their whole entire back stock. Right. But you can recreate that dig for yourself if you come to the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. How does that work? Indeed. There is a little uh, miniature exhibit where you can uh, dig around through some dirt with a little device under glass and unearth a pair of... uh, boxed 2600 games including that very centipede one mm-hmm. I, I remember an interesting thing is they a lot of the people that were with all the extra boxes they had up there yep i i was just remembering that a lot of those uh copies that were unearthed got sold on ebay and the miraculous thing is a lot of people said they still worked well, they don't make games like they used to and that's both a bad and a good thing yeah Indeed. Speaking about how they don't make games like they used to, this is, I know, one urban legend that we've all done in our times of playing video games. And we've all done it with our Nintendo systems. Oh, yes. Can you guess what it is, guys? Blowing in it. Thinking it actually did something. Mm. I don't know. I blew in it and it started working. So, you know. (laughs) Well, they really what they did, someone actually did test this. What they found out was was blowing on it because you think it might be dust. It just was a chemi- It's actually something in your brain to give your brain comfort of, hey, this is kind of working. The reality was, um, especially with the Nintendo system, is that the connectors would wear out over time. But 
quick fix of it was just literally uh, taking the cartridge out, waiting a few seconds and putting it back in. But we all blew on it because we all were convinced that there was dust in there causing the problem. And that's what we all did. Yeah, it turns out uh, by by blo- blowing on it with our mouths, we were getting moisture <laughs> onto those copper connectors and degrading them. And oh. Causing them to deteriorate. To yep. deteriorate. Which is why after a while, the blowing trick would stop, would then stop working. Because the copper connectors had degraded to the point that just didn't work anymore. So if you absolutely have to do it, uh, our recommendation is to use a household fan. Or get a can of air. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cleans out everything. Or cleaners. Or uh, Mm -hmm. actually uh, isopropyl alcohol that's like 70 or 91%. Use that in a Q-tip. Swipe it. That's also really good. Yeah, or, you know, vodka. <laughs> you don't know how many times you don't know how many times I've cleaned CD players with vodka, and it's worked. Wow! It works on your PS2 when the little eye reading thing that's supposed to read the CD. If you think it's if you think it's gotten smooched, just a little, a little bit on a Q-tip cleans it right off. It's also a good deodorizer too. We use that in theater all the time. Hmm. I've just let all that tricks out of the bag. In Soviet Russia, you get cleaned by vodka. In capitalist United States, vodka cleans for you! (laughs) (laughs) A reversal of the Russian reversal, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? You know what's another legend? I don't know how true this is, because um, but we did. I don't know if we even talked about it when we did our Street Fighter, our Street Fighter uh, podcast. Shang Long, we did talk about that. Yes, that was another. That's another urban legend. Which, also uh, didn't help. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, which also didn't help that uh, EGM magazine in nineteen in April ninety two actually published an article about how to unlock. That boss. That's not really a boss. As an April Fool's joke. Yes. The interesting thing is that Capcom kind of made it real with Akuma in uh, Super Street Fighter 2. And then following that, oh, they took true. EGM's design for Shang Long and made it into Goken. Yep. Back for Street Fighter 4. But yeah, the I, the way that you could unlock Akuma in Super Street Fighter 2 was, yeah, pretty much not the exact thing, but pretty close to the exact thing from the old uh, EGM rumor. Yeah, EGM is the source of a few of these things, including a very notorious Super Smash Bros. Melee rumor, which was so tantalizing to so many kids of that generation because Smash Brothers Melee was everything people who played the original Smash Brothers wanted mm. it to be. But what would have pushed it over the top would have been Mario versus Sonic. And EGM was promising not just Sonic, but Tails too. Yeah, it half became true. <laughs> yeah. But according to Electro EGM, the way to unlock them was to beat 20 fighters in the cruel melee mode. And I can tell you from my personal experience, I'm not a great Smash player, but I'm lucky if I can get one. 
Have either of you guys uh, tried this just to see if you could actually pull it off? No. No, I don't have the patience. Oh, sorry, Chrissy. No, I just don't have the patience. <laughs> mm. I I think I just was aware. I think I caught on really fast on it. <laughs> I, I think I was like, this is the April episode. I know what this is. Um, but yeah, but eventually uh, Sonic did come into Smash Brothers with uh, Smash Brothers Brawl and on. Yeah, unfortunately, you don't have to beat any cruel melee stuff to go unlock him. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Or what would have been the equivalent. I only remember one other EGM April Fool's gag they did that some people really wanted it to be real, but it wasn't. And some people would claim they did it, and it, they didn't. Is this the Mortal yeah. Kombat blood code? No, but there was that one, too. No, I remember they also did one where it was Simon Belmont was a hidden character in T- and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Oh, yes! Oh, Oh, that would have been epic. That would have been interesting. Which, to their credit for 1980s tech, they did a pretty impressive, or, yeah, 1980s tech, they did a pretty impressive uh, photograph uh, fakery on that one. So they got, like, the Simon Sprite and just had it look really cleanly on there. So. Ah, EGM. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace, a lot of the gaming magazines of oh, our indeed. youth. In fact, is there any that is still around? Most of the magazines I'm aware of are more hobbyist publications, not stuff affiliated with yeah. big corporations. I mean, Nintendo Power is around, but not as a magazine. It's now a podcast. Yeah, tech, that makes them our competition now. Okay, how about one of these that seems so weird? That I I actually just learned about it today, kind of doing the research for this. Saddam Hussein tried to use the PS2 to take over the world. <laughs> oh, that's what? right. Allegedly, people were claiming the PlayStation 2 was more powerful than any computer on the market. Which, let's be honest, is bunk. Because if it was that powerful, it would have cost far, far, far more. So the, so the part of the legend is, is that in 2000, Saddam Hussein and the Iraqi government bought thousands of the PS2 intent on harvesting the processors and using them to turn them into weapons of mass destruction. Because <laughs> apparently that was supposedly the easiest way of getting a hold of expensive high-tech material. Wow. Now, naturally, this one was... Yeah, I think Sony better hide... Sorry, Chrissy. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, I was about to say, uh, Sony better hide the tech specs on the PS5 just to be on the safe side. <laughs> I'd never... I Honestly, I feel like I lived under a rock when this took place. I never realized that. That, that he actually attempted to do it. Hmm. I think I heard the story back in the day, but I forgot about it until I did my own research that, over the last few days. I think I remember hearing about them connecting a whole bunch of the PS2s together or something, but yeah. I think I've also heard a similar rumor about the Chinese government trying to do the same. Weird. Yes. Just weird. Quite. So how about cheat codes? Do you guys ever hear of like the rumored cheat codes? 
I mean, we knew one that was claimed to be a rumor really was true, and that was the Konami code. Yeah. You know, those those we could verify. It's the ones we couldn't that through a, through a work and experimentation that probably merit more discussion. And the notorious one I, I alluded to earlier is the blood code on the Nintendo versions of Mortal Kombat. I, I forget mm-hmm. what the exact code was. But the origin behind it was Ooh. due to Nintendo's very strict censorship standards of the day, where where Midway Acclaim and so on could not uh, put an arcade-accurate Mortal Kombat on a Nintendo system because Nintendo did not want to sell a game with that much blood in it. But So they hid it away. So apparently the blood code, according to this, was the, the player had to hit A, B... A C A B B, at which point um, Scorpion would invite you to get over here, and then it would start the blood code. Wow! Showing blood. And that's not even a C button on the way, Nintendo pad. <laughs> what should have been everyone's first idea that this was not really going to work? Right. That sounds like a Genesis code. Well, there was a blood code for the Genesis. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there was one for the Genesis, and supposedly you could use the same code on the Super Nintendo. At least that's what I remember from high school, because when this came out, all of the guys were talking about how you could get blood on the Super Nintendo system. You just had to do it right, and if it didn't work, you were doing it wrong. Not that it was bunk, but you must have been doing it wrong. Hmm. I remember that. I remember them all sitting around talking about it, and I'm like, why are you guys so obsessed with blood? And of course, at the boys. same time, came out the Laura. True. Then in college, it was the Laura Croft nudity code. Oh, good grief! I remember that. I remember. <laughs> I oh my god, yeah, the code that if you inputted it in, Nor- Laura Croft would have been nude. Save for her gun. I'm not quite sure. It's yeah. Which, at one point, when all the guys were going crazy over that, I'm like, it's a bunch of polygons. You guys are computer hackers. You know you could probably recreate it yourself without having to go through the trouble of putting in a code. And somebody did. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Oh, my God. Funny how that... I just remember... I was going to say, it's funny how that uh, kind of... uh... Supposed cheat code got revisited again whenever uh, DOA volleyball came out, or people claim the same thing on that, and it's like nope. <laughs> Although the code did make it into a subsequent Tomb Raider game, but it did not strip any clothing away. Instead, it uh, blew Lara Croft up. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yes, that was awesome. Oh, that one. Then there was um, the other code, too, which people thought was a trick code, but it really, really wasn't, was the Justin Bailey code on um, Metroid. That's right. That's the one that... Uh, Did you know about that on, on the original Metroid game? Yes. Yep. So, yeah, the Justin Bailey code allowed for uh, players to play as Samus outside of her combat armor, and... Uh, Colored her hair green, probably because she was fully powered up with this code. 
apparently Samus's natural state is a brunette in the original NES. Mm-hmm. And you also had access to her most powerful weapons. No armor, but you had powerful weapons. I also remember that floored a lot of guys in my high school that Samus was a girl. <laughs> it also like beat most of the game because all you have to do is go to the uh, mother, uh, the other two bosses, Ridley and uh, Crater, already defeated. You just have to go beat Mother Brain. Yeah. Hmm. So back to Mortal Kombat for a bit uh, because that game was a source of so many wild rumors and concerning the things that actually were hidden in those games like Mortal Kombat 2 had Pong tucked away in it for goodness <laughs> sakes you, you could actually believe some of these things were real but one that wasn't at first in Mortal Kombat 1 was something called Air Mac it was said by overplaying the Sega version of Mortal Kombat with Scorpion, the screen would eventually flaw and flash an, an alert message on the screen. The message read, Error Macro, and it would turn Scorpion's yellow outfit red. This was proven to be completely false. Though debug screens on the original Mortal Kombat, underneath the entry for a number of times Reptile was fought, referred to an Air Mac, which was indeed Error Macro's, and people thought, oh, this must be some other hidden character, since he's referenced so close to Scorpion. I mean, Reptile. I'm still mixing up these palette swap ninjas to this day. Oh, dear. So around Ultimate Mortal Too Kombat many ninjas. 3. So around Mortal Kombat 3, Midway just said, heck with it. We'll make him. And he was indeed a red palette swap of Scorpion. And since then, he's evolved into something completely different. But that, that was the start of that character. He was a what? scorpion recolor. Call it what it is. Yeah. Well, that's what a lot of characters in that game are. True. Uh, you mentioned the Konami code earlier. If I remember right, I think in Greatest 3, if you use the Konami code, it actually blows you up also. Oh, oh goodness, yes, that's right. Konami could only take the cheating for so long. Then things go so. boom. <laughs> well, I, no, I, think I didn't also cheats... realize this was another. Oh. I was just gonna say go the ahead, cheats. Penny. Oh, I was just gonna say the cheat actually still is in Gradius Three, but they require you to hit the R and L buttons added to it. If you don't, it blows you up. If you do, then you get all your items. Nice. Okay. So. Another another urban legend I did not know about um, actually is in Diablo. Oh, the cow level. And the cow level. How am I not? How, I feel like I'm the only one who didn't know about this. That <laughs> apparently you could act. There was supposedly the belief you could enter a cow dimension where you fought a group called Future Hamburgers, <laughs> and then you go back to to the regular game. I, I think I remember hearing about that. I think something made a parody of it. I feel like um, late developers in the 90s were obsessed with cows. Because there's like this one, and then there's the cows in Earthworm Jim. I played yeah. Gary Larson in The Far Side. And of course, there's all the references to llamas in various Sim City games. That's true. The cow mythology would first become quote unquote canonized. 
in uh, Hellfire, the quasi-official expansion to Diablo, which added a couple new classes and a set of new stages, and you could turn the side quest giver for the new stages into a complete weirdo dressed up as a cow with, by adjusting a couple lines of code. Yeah, you approach him, he goes, Moo. And then the next time he says, I said moo. <laughs> and then after a few more tries, he finally actually gives you the quest. And you can change, and through the quest, you change his outfit from a cow to a moose. And, you know, cow levels would become a running gag. In StarCraft, you could type in, there is no cow level as a cheat and instantly win a stage. And Diablo 2 tucked away an actual cow level. So, uh, if you ask, where's the beef? Activision bought it all. <laughs> Don't have a cow, man. <laughs> These puns are starting to get cheesy. Oh, it was a good time. <laughs> Sunset Slade, wherever you are, we apologize. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. No. We just got caught. That's all it is. <laughs> so, do you guys know what the first video game ever created was? Um, Tennis for two? Yeah, on that oscilloscope. Nope. Something it's actually called that. computer space. Something predates it. It's called computer space. That, that's funny because the mm -hmm. oscilloscope thing was done in the 50s. Yeah, no, this one this one is, is older than it. Are you sure? Look up Tennis for Two so, Oscilloscope. Yeah. Tennis for Two. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. Space Computer Space was the very first arcade video game. There you, there go. you go. There you go. Most people actually believe it was Pong. Yeah, because Pong was the first successful one. Yeah. It was yeah, yeah Computer Space was uh, done by the same people who did Pong, Nolan Bushnell and his co-conspirators, but it was just too complicated for the mass audience at the time. Mm -hmm. It's a shame, because those were beautiful machines. They look amazing. Yeah. And the thing is, there is one actually in, strong, in the Strong Museum, and they actually, last I knew, they were trying, they got a second one, and they were trying to make it work so people could play the game. Ooh, that would be amazing. And there is yeah, one, one that, there is one that I believe is working at the, uh, where is it? The American Classic Arcade Museum in New Hampshire, which uh, we'll be talking about uh, towards the end of this episode. Bro trip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... So since, since we've been talking about codes and, and hidden cheats in the game, let's talk about another portion of Myths and Legends, and that is Curses. Oh, I know where this is going. Oh, no. Is this going to be Sonic? Which one do you think I'm going to talk about? Ben Drowned. Nope. nope. We'll nope. get to Ben Drowned, though. There's actually two that are, they are actually two. Well, Ben's Drown isn't so much a curse as it is a creepypasta, but there is something called the Madden curse. Oh, right. Yeah. Billy wanted us to talk about this. Yes. Billy asked us to. 
Um, this is so the curse is is that every time a Madden NFL game came out after two thousand after the year 2000 for every year there's a new Madden game whatever player was featured on the cover would be getting severely injured in the following year so either something would either or they would just have a really bad performance it kind of was career ending stuff so the belief was that if you were on the Madden cover for the Madden NFL game the very next year your career would end mm. Wow. Yeah, there's a got to be a list somewhere out there with all the descriptions, but uh, I don't think very many of those names would have much uh, impact to me. Well, Drew, like Drew Brees uh, was on the cover one year, and he had almost a career-ending year the next year. But yeah, it this is that is the that is the curse of the Madden cover. The thing is, and it's a, this is the thing is like. People look for reasons for when bad things happen. They look for reasons outside of it happens. Football's a huge compact sport. Is contact sport with guys probably with big heavy guys. Injuries are gonna happen, especially if you're a quarterback, because you're not quite as big as those guys. Because you need to be quick and you need to be light on your feet to be able to move fast. So, yeah, but it, it became it became a very well-known curse. Um, but a lot of these things that happened are things that already were happening in the NFL. But fans like to think that, oh, my God, my, my, my favorite athlete was on the cover of this game. And all of a sudden, it all went to heck. It must be the game. It must be. But there's a correlation too. That apparently, with on um, the NBA games, the same thing was. They claimed the same thing was happening to those athletes too. That as soon as they were on an NBA cover, their careers would either take um, almost a career-ending injury, or it just they just stunk. So yeah, the Madden curse. Usually, that sort of thing only happens to rappers who win the best album Grammy. Ooh. Look at Lauren Hill. Look at Outcast. Yikes! Their careers died. Well, Lauren Hill's career really didn't die so much as she just went into a different genre that isn't as publicized as um oh as it's not mainstream. She kind of went oh. into the R and B category, but people are like, Fair. "Her career died." It's like, nope, no, it didn't. She just went into a genre you don't listen to so and there's another curse too that is actually in a game you wouldn't expect it to be in pokemon barbie horse adventure oh the uh pallet town one no pokemon and i'm talking yeah pallet town the uh lavender town lavender town sorry i get the wrong town Ah. lavender town no, you were fine. Yeah, Lavender Town. And this actually started in 2010, where um, there was the belief. Hang on, I got to pull it up. So in 2010, Lavender Town, there was a belief that when kids listened to Lavender Town music, there were children in Japan that were dying 
by committing suicide due to the belief is them listening to this music and having a mental breakdown that led to suicide. Yikes. Yep. Yeah, apparently this myth goes that uh, there were certain notes that only kids could hear that adults couldn't. Mm-hmm. Which, um, I'm not sure of the scientific validity of that. Actually, Junichi Masuda actually came out and said that, no, there are no hidden notes in the music. He's the one who actually created the music. Right. And he was like, no, this isn't, there, there isn't anything hidden in here. There isn't any high-pitched notes that are outside the adult range of hearing. He's like, he, like he had to come out and say, it's not my music because people were blaming him for, you know, for it, even though no one could name the children who committed suicide because of, because of Lavender Town. Like they couldn't point out a person or like when people were like, well, who died? And it'd be like, well, a friend of a friend kind of thing like he couldn't give actual names or cases where the music from lavender town had caused a suicide if only we could get QAnon to that level of scrutiny (laughs) (laughs) it won't happen they like to have something to blame they always have to have something to blame that's fair yeah it's always weird how that works like the friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who's also a friend his cousin <laughs> brothers uncle, i am your brother's nephew's roommate so what does that make us absolutely nothing don't sue us mel brooks yeah we've, we've already got atari and the cia coming after us yeah, we, we don't we don't need Mel Brooks coming after us. But if he does, I would like an autograph. <laughs> so, speaking of spooky, scary stuff, let's get into that creepypasta. Ah, yes, the infamous creepypasta. Ben Drowned. James, would you like to tell us about this one? I'll, I will try. Okay, I seem to have... Inst- I think I accidentally clicked on the uh, on the multimedia alternate reality game based on the myth. Mm-hmm. So, come on, browser. Okay, dictionary. This thing has an entry on dictionary.com. Oh, believe me, this is a phenomenon. It actually technically was an ARG game which is an augmented re- alternate reality game okay. on the internet. Most creepypastas actually come out of some of these. So, Okay, here we go. According to the story... Which I can give the breakdown to- while you... Okay. According to the story, which included links to the YouTube videos of the events unfolding, 4chan user Jadu Sable's college roommate lent him an old N64 game console, and an elderly man at a yard sale gave him a copy of of The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, with the label removed and the word Majora written on Sharpie. When he started playing the game, he noticed there was a game file named Ben still loaded on the cartridge, and another file named Drowned. Even when he started a new game and deleted the old one, the other characters in the game referred to his character as Ben or as nothing at all. 
He noticed other strange events, such as theme music being played backward and characters disappearing. The creepypasta continued after the five original forum posts linking to a website about the cult Moon Children. On this website, now mercifully offline, users could solve puzzles and form their own theories about characters in the game. He, the creator soon admitted he had made it all up on a whim while in college. Yeah. But so the, when Ben, apparently, yeah. Apparently, the depictions in the game included a statue of Link with a very disturbing face following you around, and your character spontaneously combusting, and the phrase "You shouldn't have done that." So what have you got to add to that, Chrissy? So Ben's Drowned is a very interesting um, creepypasta. The creepypasta originally started on creepypasta.net. Um, and it actually was called Haunted Majora's Mask Cartridge. It was published in uh, 2010. And it actually is still kind of going on now. It's actually, the game is still being, the, the show, the, the game and the story is still being told by Alex. Um, what it started out as in the first first part of it, which is the haunted cartridge, was Alex, and that is actually the guy's name, acquired a haunted N64 cartridge from Majora's Mask with this being in it called Ben. Out of this whole entire creepypasta, is a bunch of memes and it's kind of like portals the cake is a lie kind of went to that status of viral among gamers uh the two big ones is you shouldn't have done that and you have met with a horrible fate haven't you um with alex's actual um telling of the story is we eventually learned the story about a boy named ben who drowned and it's Ben's ghost haunting the cartridge. Um, that's actually the first arc of the game of this of this series is the haunted cartridge. So when people hear of Ben drowned, it is actually that it's actually focused on the cartridge portion of this game. The second arc is titled the Moon Children, um, which is the following of kind of this cult that comes out of the Ben Drowned where they actually sacrifice children to ascend and they drown them. Okay. Now the last arc that came out is called The Awakening in March and it kind of started in March of 2020 to kind of help everyone get through the pandemic, I guess. And it's, it's interesting um, with that one. I haven't watched Awakening yet. Um, I, ha I have kind of watched these because it's, you know, it's Zelda. It's creepy Zelda, but it's Zelda. Right. And it's supposedly, um, I think at the end of the first, at the end of the first arc, which is the haunted cartridge, eventually it kind of leaves on a bit of a cliffhanger because Alex actually releases Ben into the world of the internet to spread his terror. That's where actually the, the last, the first arc ends is Alex cracking the code and then Ben is unleashed onto the world creating the moon children. So it's kind of, it's very interesting um, creepypasta. It definitely is going to take some time. If you are a video game fan and you, if you are a 
and you like horror stories, this is definitely a good one to watch. Uh, me, I'm a tremendous chicken heart, so I'm staying as far away from this as I can. Zoink, Scoop, we got a haunted video game! Zoink! Jinkies! <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, and there, there's a lot of, like I said, there's a lot of, of quotes that came out of it. You shouldn't have done that is one. The other one, like I said, is you have met with a horrible fate, have or you've met with a terrible fate, haven't you? So it's very, it's very interesting. There's a lot of video game um, creepypastas out there or ARGs, um, but this is the first one that really took off. So there's two last. And so far, they have. Sorry. Yeah, this Go also ahead. has. This guy also still has not gotten a cease and desist letter from Nintendo yet. Wow, that's a surprise. Yeah, I know. He's just like he kind of. He's just like ah, uh, because he act, someone actually did ask him if he ever got a cease and desist, and he's like ah, uh, not yet. Uh, I'm sure it's coming, but not yet. They haven't caught me yet, apparently. <laughs> Nintendo only gives you a cease and desist if you do something with Metroid. <laughs> oh yeah. So, and speaking of Nintendo, there are two myths and legends I want to discuss before we wrap this discussion up. And starting with going back to Pokemon, the myth of how to find Mew. Mew or Mewtwo? Mew. Okay. Because Mewtwo, we know you can find him. Although there are rumors of an armored Mewtwo from the movie, but... Uh, this the, the Mew myth is a little more uh, prevalent because it centers around this one truck graphic on an isolated patch of grass in the game that you've been rumored to have to use strong or whatever boulder moving ability is in that game to move this truck and unearth the Pokeball that contains Mew. So many people tried this. What? Yeah. Yeah, th- this was a legitimate rumor. Well, not. I remember uh, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was it wasn't legitimate, legitimate, but it was an actual rumor that spread around. And I've been wa- I've watched some videos of people who tried this for an hour trying to get that truck to budge. Oh my god! Yeah, to no effect. Now, apparently, there is an actual way to get to get Mew in the game outside of contests and the like but it's so convoluted uh, I don't think I could get it properly correct verbatim especially without any notes in front of me I'm, I'm just going to say go look it up folks google it or just wait yeah for you a have a phone in your hand google it and finally we're going to answer we're going to answer the question is L real is he is he though well According to a uh, a barely legible plaque on a on a statue in Mario Super Mario sixty four, it re- it reads L is real twenty four oh one. Apparently, people thought oh, this must be how you get it, Luigi, because this was one of the first Mario games where you could play as Mario but not Luigi, and and I don't mean like spinoffs or the like. I mean this was the first time Luigi was absent from a game and mm-hmm. but originally super mario 64 was going to be a two-player game with 
Mario and Luigi as playable characters, but the system's capabilities prevented that from happening, and Luigi was taken out of the game. He would later be make his debut in Mario Kart 64. In Super Mario 64's Castle Courtyard, there is a statue at the heart of it. It depicts a giant star with a blurry inscription beneath it. Although it is hard to read, the text on the inscription can be interpreted as either Eternal Star or El Israel 2401. And people were like, okay, this must be some hint on how you can unlock Luigi. Maybe there's 2,401 coins? No, there's actually more than that, so getting all the coins doesn't do it. And there's been all kinds of rumored methods to get at the lean green machine ranging from beating the game in a, in a certain time frame, beating the game without losing any lives, beating the game without losing any lives within a certain time frame, and so on. But none of them were real. Now, this myth would be perpetuated by Photoshop screenshots, palette swapping Mario and making him look a little thinner. But on July 25th of 2020, a leaked beta of Mario 64 appeared on the internet, among the contents of the beta were Luigi's model and accompanying voice audio, but this was all excised due to the limitations of the N64 not being able to handle a two-player experience of that complexity, at least back then. Mm-hmm. Little did people know that secretly El Israel was just Miyamoto saying that he was a Death Note fan. Oh! <laughs> And actually, but and but also the programmers. Interesting enough, who put it in there, they actually said that the was that the the markings on the statue didn't mean anything. It has no meaning at all. Like they're just like they actually were kind of surprised people were putting as much thought into it as it was. That same inscription was used again in um, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, as well as I think it's. Um, Oh, what was the other game that they put it into? They did it. I, I remember it being an Ocarina of Time. Oh, Super Mario Odyssey. Okay. Ah. It was in those two games. ING actually, IGN actually offered a $100 reward for someone to, to come up with an authentic unlocking mechanism method for Luigi. And it was never claimed. They didn't come out to tell people Luigi was not in this game until 2016. Wow. Like, like, like they kind of let it go for that long where they're just like, um, yeah, he's not in here. You can't play him. You can't unlock him. Like, stop. I'm just disappointed. Nobody tried to cash in that hundred dollars by saying, buy a dual screen in the Super Mario 64 remake. Boom. There you go. (laughs) Well, I'm sure they're going to pull it now. Hmm. A little late now, but so let's wrap up this discussion with a little flight of fancy. What is a okay. myth you wish you could go back in time and perpetuate just for uh, kicks and giggles? Roll as a playable character. Hmm. For the original Mega Man games, naturally. Naturally. Okay. Pemmy, how about you? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh... Uh, heck, how about I, I try to push the previous, the Luigi myth that would happen before Mario 64, 
which was there was also the Luigi myth that was for Mario RPG. Oh, and, oh, that's right. He wasn't playable on that one either. No, but he appears at the end of the game as like the uh, as the uh, guy in fr- uh, leading the parade. Oh, the Grand Marshal. Yeah, and that caused a lot of people to think, "Oh, he must be hidden in the game somewhere." No, nope, nope. But you I know, think, with oh the one. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, with graphic editing abilities, though I have access now, if I went back then, I could make some convincing proof. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the one rumor that I think we all at the time wish was true, hardcore wish was true, was Final Fantasy VII and the ability to save um, Eris. Oh, oh yes. yes. yes I think one. everybody... I think that's the one everybody wanted to be true. Like they just wanted it to be true that if you made a certain choice different in the game, that you could save Eris. Doesn't help and that the instructions. Dork- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you're- oh, I was just gonna say it didn't help that the instructions to uh, Final Fantasy VII showed her using abilities that she doesn't have because she yeah. dies. But what's funny was Dorkly. They actually did like they do a they do like these little shorts and it was called the power up mix up, so where the power ups from the different games get sorted into other games, and they kind of did it as a wink and the nod to all of the Final Fantasy VII friends, where the one up power up ends up in Final Fantasy VII and after she's killed they give her the one up and she's saved. And they have her sit up no. and go, I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> nice. As for myself, the rumor the rumor I wish I could perpetuate is is a gag from one of my high school friends who got so excited about Mega Man 3's uh, Search Snake weapon thinking, oh man, I bet you that turns you into Serpentor from G.I. Joe. <laughs> oh my god. Cobra la 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 la. La 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 la. Oh, that would have been awesome. That that would have been genuinely hilarious. And just one quick Photoshop and boom, I I could have, I could have fooled so many people just, but again, just just Serpentor as a Mega Man villain. (laughs) He kind of looks like one. And then you can like, Change the snakes to have a sound clip that says, I was once a man. <laughs> <laughs> and then change change Duke's death scene because a whole generation of children were traumatized by the death of Optimus Prime. And that's when Hasbro goes, oh, shit. <laughs> but we're going to keep all that body horror with Cobra Commander. The kids will be fine. <laughs> yeah. we, can't, we can't kill off Duke. That's too traumatizing. Yeah, but this guy got changes. He's like, yeah, keep that in. They'll be fine. That traumatized me more than Optimus, to be honest. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, all right. Well, when we return, we will have this day in gaming history and all our other usual uh, post-podcast patter. Stay tuned.
Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc dot org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc dot org at the moment we're still working out most social media matters but we are indeed on facebook at gaming street irregulars christy and i are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool and begging i mean asking for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Welcome back, folks. Today in video game history was the release of the PlayStation version of one of the defining franchises for that platform, Gran Turismo. Nice. Yes, this this uh, Sony-published Polyphony Digital developed game was a very popular racing title and that's about all i can tell you about it because i'm terrible at racing games i've actually never played it i do better at mario kart i I think (laughs) most of us are because then we can have weapons yeah seriously that's what's just missing in most racing games it's like give me a weapon that's my RC program. Like as much as I hated that game, I kind of enjoyed it because I could have missiles and bombs. Oh, you'd be happy to know there's a stream where I actually beat that game. <laughs> oh, do did, did you? Do, oh, yeah, I remember watching, and I think I had told James after at the time, like, tell Pemmy I feel his rage about AC program, RC program. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I feel him. <laughs> so many levels with that game. I I lost the feeling of my hand for like the rest of the day and it still felt off for like another day afterwards <laughs> oh my lord and you can find those videos and many many more at artificial orange studios on youtube or you can just go to my twitter which is pembroke w Corky at twitter.com and what's your and what's your uh twitter and what's your twit your Twitch name if they ever want to watch you play some of these games. Oh yeah, that would also be twitch.com slash Corgi. All one word. Or all put together. No spaces, no underscores, none of that. And as for Chrissy and I, uh, while we gave our contact information earlier, you'll also, fingers crossed, be able to find us 
live and in person on September 25th and 26th at the next edition of Flower City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Now, as I stated last week, we are going to be in compliance with every COVID regulation and mandate. If you have to, if mask mandates are still in effect, we, we will expect you to wear masks. If there's a capacity limit, we'll be held to that. If there's uh, Excelsior requirements, we'll stick with that. But we want to make sure we have as safe an experience as we can put on. And, you know, we're, we're keeping our, our ears to the ground and hoping that this can still go forward. And we're also, well, Chrissy and I, at least, are also hoping to get our dear friend, Pemmy, involved in one capacity or another. That would be awesome. Oh, we shall. We shall. <laughs> And before that, on Labor Day weekend, at least tentatively, Chrissy and I are plotting a road trip to the American Classic Arcade Museum in Laconia, New Hampshire. Indeed. And maybe we'll live stream it, too. If if we can get the technology. I mean, it exists. It's just a matter of us being able to afford it. But but yeah, I've been reading about this place for a while. Uh, Apparently, they do have a computer space machine. They have one of the last remaining copies of Death Race that I'm aware of. What? They've got uh, they've got some Atari games I've never played. I believe one of them is called Cloak and Dagger. Oh, I've heard of that. Oh, cool. And it, it's just a beautifully done arcade that I am eager to go and visit. And she made a movie based on that game. Sort of. Kind of. Yeah. Like with most video game, like with most video game uh, movies, you know, it's just not that close. Right. And on that, on that pensive note, we're gonna bid you adieu. My name's James Irish. I'm Chrissy Harding. Sorry, I had a moment. <laughs> and I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. On, on behalf of everyone at Gaming Street Irregulars, thank you for listening and game on. Bye, everyone. See ya. <laughs>